Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and the Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. All right, Jeffrey Steele. My first guest is one of the most influential songwriters that has ever hit the shores of Nashville, Tennessee. He's a crazy good performer, killer singer, a dashing hand model, and thankfully one of my best buddies. Here's my conversation with Jeffrey Steele. Not like that. There we go. All right. This is the first inaugural, I guess the inaugural and first of the same thing, episode of Thinking and Drinking with me, Bartier. And my first guest is one of the most important people <laughs> in my life. Oh! Singer, songwriter, snappy dresser. Let me get you that 20 bucks. I owe bike you. rider, <laughs> briber, Jeffrey Steele. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hello, Bart. <laughs> How are you? This is the inaugural ship this launching. Is the very first one. Wine bottle on the whole. Dude. Cracking the thing and going? Yes. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> And here we are. Here we are. And it's going to be good. It's going to be funny. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. I'm already laughing. I've been laughing since the first three minutes you walked in the door. We've been laughing. That's what I love about you. We're always laughing. We always laugh. If you can't laugh, why do anything? I always tell people, if you're not laughing while you're writing songs, you're you're not a songwriter. (laughs) You've got to be having a good time, right? I remember, and when... We first met. I was at Monument Records. You got signed to Monument Records. That's right. We went out and did promo tours, and we that were was back the turn of the century. You can say that again. That's right. Turn of, turn of the century. <laughs> I was way back turn of the century. Wagon back wheels. Hell of war. Was, say that too. Oh, that's right. Which war? But uh, we would laugh so hard, oh, dude. God, it was like one bus. of us would have to go to the back of the bus just to stop laughing because we were so hoarse. And I'm like, eh. I finally had a six pack of abs. It was nuts. I'd never had that in my life. We were together on nine eleven when nine eleven happened. I think you're right. Were we on that trip, were we on the bus trip. I think so. We were on a lot of bus trips. I just remember that was crazy. That was kind of the that was kind of the end of the record deal. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, you should have recorded something in the towers instead of something in the water. That might have been end of the record deal. Oh, but I was uh, I was looking up some stats on you. Yeah. I'm just going to embarrass you for a sec. I don't know how many songs you've written. Probably what 2,500. Oh God, I, I couldn't even tell. Couldn't you. even tell. I, I, would, I would even say 5,000. I don't know. I couldn't even say. Man, well. Tell. All, all amazingly great songs. No, I know that. Because <laughs> I think I've written, I think I've written like 40 with you. Yeah? Which yeah. is yeah. unbelievable. We knocked a few out, brother. <laughs> which reminds me, I've got a great idea. <laughs> no, but I was looking, you've had over 500 cuts, mm-hmm. over 100 singles, mm-hmm. over 85 top tens, which include top fives and number ones. One of them, which might have been Brand New Girlfriend. That was a big one. That was a good one. You've had, you, your songs have been on sales of over 50 million records. 
You've had over 60 million spins. You've had four Grammy nominations. You're Writer of the Year, 2003 and 2007. And you had the Song of the Year in 2007 with What Hurts the Most mm -hmm. for the Flats. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think of that grocery list? Uh, I don't know. It's, I, <laughs> you know, a few years ago, I got inducted to the Hall of Fame, and that's I think that's the first time I just kind of stopped. And yeah. Went, Whoa. I, I just never looked up. I, I Songwriters Hall of Fame, which is what? There's like 60 or 70 people in that? I don't know. It's pretty I, slim. I, I just know that when it happened, I, I was like, wait a minute, I'm too young for this. Wait, no, no, I don't want to go. I don't yeah. want to go. You know, Not yet, not yet. It's not the end of a career like yeah, it is at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, my God, yeah. my best days are behind me. And uh, I just never looked up. You know, I would just, I mean, you know, we, we spent a lot of time together writing songs. I, I'd write three a day. I'd write oh, dude. three a day with you. And, and um, um, I just love it so much. And. I just, you know, was so caught up in trying to get it right and get it good and, and and try to make it, you know, hit somebody. I was so caught up in that that I don't think I ever looked up. And I think that Hall of Fame thing was the first time I went, wow, yeah. geez, I've really been doing this for a long time. And, and um, a lot of stuff's happened. And it, I think that's the first time I really reflected back on it and, and uh, you know, <laughs> just kind of went, geez. <laughs> it, I think it's kind of crazy as humans, you watch people that are so closed off emotionally and nothing emotional ever happens to them. With guys like us and every writer, you open yourself up to every emotion and all of a sudden the world is dumping scoopfuls of emotions on you. Yeah. And it's kind of fuel for the fire, which is good for us. But yeah, um, I think... Um I think you have to live in that world, right? I mean, yeah. doing what we do. I mean, you have to, uh, you, you, you have to kind of like stand there and just be ready for that wind to come at you. Like here, here, here comes the thing and it might be your own personal life or it just might be all the things going around on around you. But I, I just, I never forget the day and you know, we always tell the stories, but I never forget the day on brand new girlfriend it was, and you're the one that said it, you know, and it, because you had a brand new girlfriend, you had Amy, you know, and, <laughs> and it just, my thing was always like, write it how somebody says it. Right. And it was the look on your face when you said it. It wasn't so much the title, which was genius, but it was the way your eyes looked and your face lit up. <laughs> and we were writing a couple of really bad songs that day. They were pretty crappy. <laughs> we were all rubbing our neck, you know, like... I can't even remember what they were, but I, I just remember, <laughs> I still remember you saying that and how lit up you were. And it, I remember it was the end of the day, or it was late in the day when we got on that one. And, and, uh, and uh, that, to me, that was always the gag to try to capture um, the emotion of, of somebody saying something that was really real to them and trying yeah. to write that, as opposed to just having a line or having a thought, you know, and... Um, well, you were the first guy that, when I would say, oh, 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 and you go, what? And I would say, oh, never mind. It's too dumb. You would go, no, 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 no. There's no, no self-censoring. Yeah. Tell me what it is. And then I would say it, and then you would go, yeah, you're right. That was dumb. 
<laughs> but it would always go somewhere, though. No, but yeah, that's it. That's the yeah. thing that it would lead to another thought, right? You know? Okay, we may not use that, but that's got me thinking about this. And yeah, it's like yeah, absolutely. Or you could use the line "brand new girlfriend." Well, how about instead of "brand new," we got this kind of girlfriend or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and it always takes you somewhere. And then you just the other thing about that too, and um, we I don't think we thought anything about the ramifications of that song until after we wrote it and we were singing it and going, man, girls are going to hate us for oh, this. Dude. Remember we were, we were yeah. thinking and we, and, and we, and we spent the whole day writing two songs that we thought we were supposed to write. Yeah. And then we just let one come out the way it came out unfiltered. Everything was just unfiltered. We just said it how a guy would say it. Right? Didn't we? I mean, yeah. we really nailed it. And and, and then when, I think, I don't know if it was making the work tape or whatever, we're going, oh, man, girls are just going to, we are going to get in so much trouble for this song. And then I I just remember the first time that I played it out with my band yeah. before, it, I, I might not have been recorded yet, but I remember the girls all singing it. And the girls knew the words to it. And the girls knew it better than the guys. The girls loved it better than yeah. the guys did. Because they all wanted to be the girlfriend, I guess. I don't know. But. Well, and I think the the kissy kissy smoochy smoochy part yeah. made yeah. it silly enough that it wasn't offensive. Yeah, and and I think it just goes to show you that you just you just follow the yeah. you follow the trail, or or you, you let the trail just you know you let it take you. <laughs> you just kind of go down it, and 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 you just let it take you take you where it wants to take you, and. And uh, I just remember at the end of that thing, we were all kind of going, hmm, well, you know, boy, well, man, we're going to get in trouble for this. And and boy, boy, uh, the coolest thing to see was, we you know, when you sang it and see all the girls uh, singing back and going, wow. I remember I was, that was with Shane Minor, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you had a session and like three days later, I was writing with Shane and he came in and he was real quiet and he kind of had one of those growly faces on and I go, what? <laughs> and he goes... You know, Steely had a session. I can't get as low as he does. Did he, did he demo anything? He demoed all three of those. I said, did he demo Brand New Girlfriend? He goes, yeah. And I was like, oh, crap. What a freaking waste of money, man. <laughs> and you go, hey, I believe that's a number one plaque on the wall right that there. That was the one. I Dude, mean, that I, was, the, that was one. the one. And I remember I played it for uh, my, my drummer. Tom Hamburg, yeah, yeah. my band, and, and I remember when he first heard the demo of it, he goes, dude, that's a number one song. I go, really? You really think? You don't think it's too goofy? And, and he goes, no, that's a hit. I was like, wow, okay. And then, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Anyway. So you're a Southern California boy. Yes, sir. Young boy. Yes, sir. Um, I love the story about singing in church when you're a little boy. Wentz, you obviously, I mean, I know you've got... Family and stuff. Was anybody else in music other than you? Yeah, um, everybody kind of sang in the house. Okay. My dad, my dad, my mom had a beautiful voice. She never, never sang out in public, but she had a very, very beautiful jazz voice, and uh, hmm. she's really good. And my dad was a you know three chord strummer. He had a, he had a couple on the second fret. He had to where the A chord. Oh yeah, was completely dug out from his fingers because all he could play was an A D and. <laughs> And a an E, and uh, and he'd just bash on that thing, and he'd he'd uh, he'd have the titles of the songs that he wrote painted on his guitar. I, and I'm hoping to get that guitar one day and oh, hang it in here. But he'd always come home from work and kick off his boots and his feet stunk because we we worked in a 
in a metal shop and, and uh, the cutting oil just really stunk in there and it would always be all over him. So when he took his shoes off, I was like, oh, God. And then he'd pick up that guitar and he'd point to one of his songs. He goes, which one do you want to hear? Which song do you want to hear? And we'd just go, none of them, you know. And, <laughs> and he'd play it anyway and he'd just go and he was so into it. And his stage <sighs> name was Johnny Blackfoot. You know, that's what he called himself. And, and um, he had a couple songs that got cut uh, in the 70s. Um, uh, they they never charted up real high. They you know got in the fifties and forties, um, but he got a couple charted, and he 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 basically worked his ass off his whole life, uh, you know, for his kids, and, um, and, and me and my two brothers had a band. We played together when we were teenagers. We had like a little you know you know Osmond brother kind of thing, matching bell bottoms and the whole bit, <sighs> That's awesome. that whole thing. So we were playing, playing a lot of local talent shows and, and, uh, VFWs and, uh, uh, you know, places like that. And, um, were you writing then? I was writing songs. I mean, I was, I was definitely writing songs. We, we did all original songs with my brothers in this little band. We had me and my brother wrote the songs, my older brother, I was the youngest of five kids. And, um, I mean, basically at some point as I was going through my, developing stage as a teenager and you know we're play, playing with my brothers and I started to break away because I started meeting these other musicians that I wanted to play mm -hmm. with and they were into stuff that I loved like Clapton and Hendrix and they they wanted to put bands together you know Allman Brothers they wanted to put those kind of bands together so I I kind of just kind of faded away from wanting to do the family thing yeah. and, and wanted to do I want to, I wanted to really you know test it out and and at some point as I was going along I mean I'm condensing this all into a ball but at some point, you know, I was working for my dad um, in in this machine shop, and at some point, he fired me. You know, he he fired <laughs> me, and I'm like, "You're firing me?" I go, "I'm doing a good. How could you fire me?" I'm your son. And he told me, he just go, he goes, "This is not your life, man." Yeah. And he knew that that I needed to go do what I needed to do, and I don't think hmm. any of us knew what that meant. I didn't know what that meant. I just figured I was going to be in Los Angeles and playing the clubs and get a yeah. record deal, you know, that whole thing. I had Nashville was never on my radar. That that didn't even make sense to me. It yeah. wasn't even a flicker. So um So that was your dad's version of this is gonna hurt you. Yeah, me me more was. than it's gonna hurt you. And and he fired me <laughs> and I was pissed off. I'm here yeah. to tell you, I was pissed off and, and uh I got real mad, and, and, and I got so mad I got in a band, and I hit the road. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you. I'll go make something of myself. And the saddest part, you know, and, and, and I've told you this before, but, you know, he he always told me to listen to Johnny Cash and Christopherson. Yeah. He was a huge country fan, and I was I was just rocking and rolling when I was a teenager. And he would always tell me to listen to those records. And, and when the first time I listened to Christopherson, you know, I flipped out and just fell in love with the simpleness of the music and the, yeah. how the lyrics were done and fell in love with country music at that point. And my dad passed away um, in, like, mid-'80s. Mm. So he never saw any of the things that I went off and did. So did he ever know about Boy Howdy or any of that? No, he passed away right before it happened. Really? So the and the story, you know, I've mentioned this to you before, but the, the, the crazy story was, you know, during that time I met Chris in a nightclub, mm -hmm. Palomino um, nightclub in North Hollywood, California, and and he told me to never do it for the money. He was drunk and hanging out with a couple of hookers getting in a limo, and he told me to never do it for the money. <laughs> Are you talking about the music? I'm not sure where you're going here. I was like Wayne's World. I was like, okay, Chris Christopherson, getting into a limo <laughs> with a bottle of whiskey and two hookers. <laughs> Don't do it for the money. Okay. But I held on to that. Yeah. I held on to that. Yeah. And then all those years later after my dad passed, 
you know, I got the Songwriter of the Year Award, and yeah. Chris was getting awarded that year, too, and I got to meet Chris again mm. and tell him and remind him of that story when I first met him, which, of course, he goes, he goes I, I don't remember any of that. Who are you? <laughs> Who are you again? <laughs> but I got to have a good laugh with him and, and, yeah. and, um, and, and a really cool conversation. But it's just that crazy thing about life always has, always does those full circles. And, you know, a lot of times we can't wait for that to happen in our lives. We want everything now. We want everything to happen. It's like everything has a plan. It has a full yeah. circle to it. And, and that was one of those moments when I just, I saw my life come into this full circle. Like, oh, my God, I'm standing here with Chris at this real highlight in my life. And I remember back, you know, 20-some years ago in that bar when I first saw him and I you know, could barely get a word into him. And, you know, he couldn't care less. And right. You know what I mean? Like, just that yeah. whole thing. And, and how my dad had always told me to listen to that music. And, and, um, but also, so much of your success came after you were old enough to appreciate it. You see these kids, especially a lot of these athletes, you know, they're 20 years old and they just signed a $50 million contract and then they're in jail and we're surprised. It's yeah. like, well, yeah. we should be surprised about the ones that don't get in trouble i mean it's cool that you were able to to keep that in mind the whole time yeah and even when you weren't getting cuts you're still in here banging away and just loving yeah. it because my, mo my mom always told me whatever you do stay humble um it's not that big of a deal yeah you know what i mean and and um and i Reluctantly, because <laughs> you know you're rocking and rolling. You want to, you want to live the dream. You know, yeah. I've tried and I've made my mistakes. God knows, but I've I've tried to follow that, yeah, as best I could. And um, and and, and at the end of the day, you know, I'm I'm I was just one of those guys that um, I didn't need a lot, yeah. And and you know, I, I'm still living the same house that I'm. Bought when I first moved to Nashville in '93. You know, we're still in the same house. We we didn't have to go, you know, move up with the Joe. It just that was never on my radar right. to be like that. And and um, um, not for any reason. I just it's just yeah. not the way I'm built. And and um, and I kind of like I appreciate that now. And I, I appreciate that now a lot more than I think that, than I did then. You know, um, um, and I see yeah, how. Well, cause you know what it takes. To make a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or yeah, whatever, yeah, like, 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 and 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 how important that you're not, yeah, you know, and and how everybody's important sometimes is it's a, it's a moment in time and it's your moment and you work for that moment, but it's a moment and and enjoy that moment and 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 life's going to keep rolling by, <laughs> so you know, and there's very few people that there isn't somebody that's bigger than them richer yeah. than them better whatever so yeah, i mean it's I mean, like it's just a, it's that's just a game it's not worth chasing you know and uh michael peterson mm -hmm. i said to him man congrats on something one time and it was right after brand new girlfriend and i knew him from the monument days and he said you know bart your success is your success and my success is my success and they don't bounce off of each other or reflect off of each other we're both doing really good. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool that yeah, yeah, you know, you're doing good, yeah, but I'm doing good too, yeah. and that's great. Yeah, and not everybody, everybody, so many people are trying to compare themselves with everybody else. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean that's the nature, it's the nature of the beast. You know, and and uh, I think the main thing that for me that I always I always try to tell you know I, I teach this boot camp thing and the main thing more than songwriting that I try to tell these people is like 
you know, it, who you know, if your favorite, pick a name. If it is, if it's Merle Haggard, you're only ever going to be the second best Merle Haggard, right. no matter how good of a Merle Haggard you are. You're only going to be the second best one. <laughs> you know, um, you got you got to chase your own thing, and and sometimes that doesn't mean the bi- biggest success in the world. But it, it, but there's some. I mean, you get this. I mean, there's some sort of thing in your heart when you're following your instincts and and kind of walking where God kind of lets you, you know, shows you where to walk. You know, um, you you. I think you just kind of you kind of have a better sense of yourself and and you realize what the value of what you're doing. You know hmm. how important it really is. Yeah, and some of it is important, but a Shoot, lot of it's yeah. really not important. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean. <clears throat> You say that, but you know, I guarantee, like, I mean, shoot, man, what hurts the most is 10 years ago now, 11 I know. years ago. It's crazy. But you think about how many people had that song touched their lives. Yeah. And it was written probably 20 years ago. Oh, that's it, right. It took about eight years to get that song cut. Written about your pop, wasn't it? Yeah, written about yeah. my pop. And, and uh, the cra- uh, crazy story about that was uh, man. when I sang the demo, the original title was What Means the Most. And um, when I was when I finished writing it with Steve Robson, I, I was in a studio getting ready to put the vocal down. And as I was singing it, I screwed up the vocal, and I accidentally sang "What Hurts the Most." Really? And I stopped. I said, "Give it to me again." I messed it up, and he goes, "No, no, 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 no. no. come it's listen." It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my gosh! And then you know, it was like a, it was like an eight-year journey, yeah, to get that song finally out there, uh, which taught me. I think that's a thing too. I, I learned so many lessons from songs not getting cut more than songs being hits. You know, um, when that song finally got cut all those years later, you know, I, if I had if I had hung my hat on that song and said, "Oh my God, this is the best song I've ever written," why is it not getting cut? Why is nobody paying attention to this song? It's a sad song. Okay, maybe I can't write sad songs anymore because everybody wants to hear a positive, right, fast tempo song that they can you know tap their feet and clap their hands to and and. Um, if I had a bought into that and went down that road, there's no telling what would have happened. But I, I just kind of knew that I had to let it go and just keep chasing what I was chasing yeah. musically. And sure enough, you know, all those years later, the song gets recorded and it becomes the biggest song. The the worst song I thought I'd probably had ever written becomes the biggest song of my career. Yeah, and, and defying all odds about what what research is saying they want to hear on the radio. Yeah. Here's a sad, depressing, slow tempo song that, Dude. by all accounts, should not be even on the radio, and it becomes the biggest song of that era. You know. Um, but you also told me that the most played when you told me this, the most played song ever written was a sad song, and is "You've Lost That yeah. Love and Feeling." Uh, you've lost that love and feeling, yeah. and yesterday. Ah, the two, and they're both sad songs. Yeah, you know, the both most played songs of all time, and that was about my dad, and it was about it was about my dad firing me mm-hmm. and me joining a band and going on the road, and and my dad got sick after that, and mm. um, I was out there committed to all these dates, and I was in this, I was in this guy's band, so I couldn't really get out of it, and so um, while he was getting sicker and sicker, I was out there gigging and didn't get a chance to get home, so when I finally did get home, it was right right at the end, you know, and. Um, so I carried that for so long. It, mm. it was a guilt thing that I carried for so long. Um, all the things I wanted to say, all the thank yous I wanted to say, and 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 you told me to do the right thing, all that stuff. Um, and so that idea would just lingered in my head that whole time, and, hmm. and um, that's how the song came out. Eventually. But you were out doing what he wanted you to do. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, okay, you said, okay, Boy Hattie was cranking along. Mm-hmm. And then 94, I think you said, or 93, you moved to Nashville. Yeah, right at the end of Boy Howdy, I moved to Nashville. It was um, so Boy Howdy was done when you moved. No, to Nashville? we were still together, but it was right near the end. Yeah, it was pretty much near the end. Um, the label was not really supporting us, and uh, they wanted me to go solo on my own. And the band, we were all fighting. You know, our drummer got into a major car oh, yeah. accident, and he was kind of one of the catalysts starting the band. So it really messed the band up. Um, so yeah, I was at that place where <laughs> I was at that place where. I had everything, and everything was falling apart at the same time. And I was like, "What am I going to do? Um, how am I going to make a living?" I mean, I, I guess I'm going to go back into the bars, you know, and start playing the bars and singing demos because that's what I always did in California. So I guess I'll just go back to square one and start all over again. And um, that's what I did when I moved here. You know, I, I, it seems like probably about five, six months after I moved here, the band lost the record deal, and um, and then I got a solo deal, which didn't pan out mm-hmm. in the mid '90s, and and um, so I was just here. Whose idea was coming to Nashville? Well, for I, you, I had come here. I'd been coming here since like '87, right? And I came out here in '91 um, to write some songs, which I didn't know anything about. That it's like you know we're going to get together with some co-writers. I'm like co-writers. What? What do you mean? What are you co-writers? And so they set up some appointments, and on my last day. Um, I wrote a song called She'd Give Anything to Fall in Love for mm. Boy Howdy, which became a pop hit for Gerald Levert. And that kind of put me immediately on the map. But that's the first time I realized, okay, so that's what's going on in Nashville. That's kind of cool. Wow. You know, and and um, so I came back one year for Fanfare and um, brought the family back and, and had my wife, Buddy Miller, set my wife up with a realtor. And we went looking around for a house. She went looking around for a house. And I went back on the road and... She found a house. I, I didn't even see the house until six months after coming off the road. They had already <sighs> moved in, and so I was here. You know? Evidently, you liked it. I was here, and then uh, and and life just uh, got crazy from that point. You know. So, who you said they lined me up with co-writers? That was your publisher. That was the record company. It was my publisher at the time, um, which was uh, Windswept Music. Okay. Which didn't have an office in Nashville. They were in L.A. L.A. Company. Yeah. And so we were kind of getting set up with uh, Pat Higdon's company, Pat okay. and Joseph Music at the time, which had Matresa Berg and Vince Malamud and um, uh, Tim Menzi, oh. Gary Harrison, uh, Kim Carnes, um, who I all met, all of them early on. And, and my last day was with Vince Malamud, and, and, and I had had this line that I heard on a talk radio show, Laura, um, what's her name, Laura? Um, oh. Dr. Laura. Yeah. Dr. Laura was telling some girl, you know, who had trouble with boys, uh, and her, her men keep, the, all these boyfriends she found kept leaving her, and, and she was just going on and on and on, and finally Dr. Laura said she'd give anything to fall in love, wouldn't she? Right. And, and I heard her say that and went, wow, that's that's interesting, and I wrote it down. I was coming home from a gig 3 o'clock in the morning in L.A., and I, I had that in my little notebook at the time, pre, pre-computer days, and when I got to Nashville, that I, I I didn't know what to do and it will and, and Vince said, Well you got any you got any lines, you got any titles? I go, Well I got this one thing <laughs> and it turned out to be a life changing yeah. um, song and um uh, but 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 it was one step, you know, it was one step it, it put me on the map and at the same time two years later everything kinda collapsed on me and um I had nothing and I was having trouble with my voice 
and I couldn't sing anymore, and I was going to get surgery, and went to this doctor, and he he told me that I was going to have to take a year off of singing, and I was like, oh my god, that's you know that's my moneymaker. How am yeah. I going to make a living? You know, and my I'm out of a record deal. I might not have a publishing deal. You know, all that stuff's going on, and I got four kids. You know, and so the stress is just adding. And up. I just bought a house, and la 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 la, and and so um, I kind of I kind of in a moment of truth, I just kind of said, dude, you need to become really good at songwriting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was necessity, right? The mother of invention. Yeah, and um, the mother of house payments. Yeah. <laughs> And I buckled down. I just figured I wasn't even going to be able to sing anymore and go do what I'd always done all my life. Yeah. And um, and in that term, I think it's kind of when I really discovered myself as a songwriter. Um, like you've had again so many, but uh, like, how did you meet Big Al? Um, he's just a, he's a interesting I've, couple. I've of heard guys. of NRBQ. Okay, and loved him, and and kept bugging my publisher. Um, to set me up with him, and he kept saying, "You're not ready for Big Al. <laughs> You're not ready for Big On Al." On a couple of levels. And then at some point, I wrote a song, and I tr- I can't even remember what the song was, but I turned it in, and my publisher said, "I'm going to set you up with Big Al." I, apparently, I was ready, you know. And he set me up with Big Al, and and you know, I got in a room with Al, and he's got that, you know, he's just six foot seven, oh, and dude. he he certainly was Big Al back then. Yeah, he's a big guy, and he just had that always had that scowl on his face, and and that that just awful oh. way of saying things to people. Even though he, if he loved you, he'd cut you into pieces, <laughs> but he wouldn't tell you that he loved you. <laughs> so you're sitting there crying and about to kill yourself, and I and I I came in with this uh, with this drum beat, this triplet drum beat, you know. That, I go, that's my idea, that's all I got. And he looks at me, I go, oh, well, I was singing, kissable, huggable, lovable, unbelievable. Kissable, huggable, lovable, unbelievable. <laughs> and he's just, you know, you know, you know the look. Yeah. That just, he's looking at me hard, down on me, because he's way up there. <laughs> and he's just staring at me, scowling at me, and, and then he just goes, I freaking love that. Love it, yeah. And starts playing his groove, you know, uh, his old Ford jalopy groove. Yeah. <laughs> And and we wrote that song, and oh, man. so many things happened that day with him for me as a writer. Yeah, um, not only his acceptance, but but feeling like um, oh, there was a moment in the song that I've always talked about where we needed one more word, and it was it was a song full of five syllable words, mm-hmm. and it needed one more word. So I had my thesaurus and my rhyming dictionary, and I was looking for a five syllable <laughs> word, and 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 the song was really cool, and. It, and and it was taking me like two hours to find a word, and finally Al looked at me and he goes, he goes, gotta have a bull. <laughs> and I was like, huh? And he goes, gotta have a bull. I go, well, what are you talking about? He goes, that's the word. That's the word. I go, that's not a word. He goes, well, it is now, and this song's finished. <laughs> I learned so much from that that I named my publishing company Gotta Haveable Music. Dang. You know, and and yep. and he goes, that's the part of the song everybody's going to ask about. And sure enough, it became a hit. And they go, "What are you saying in that second verse?" Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Gotta haveable," <laughs> like I made it up. Right, know? right. Duh, duh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can you not? Did you not hear that? But that was one of those Steve Martin arrow through the head thing, you know, where I where I yeah. learned so much that day about what to do, what not to do, and 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 what makes a song fun. What make you know what I mean? Just th- things that just stuck with me that. Every time I talk to Al, I always thank him. Every time he compliments me on something, I said, "Dude, you taught me everything I know." Yep. Well, that's how I feel about you. Yeah. Oh. And that's that's also one of those things. Like sometimes, 
you write with a young writer who doesn't have much success or something, and they probably have great ideas, but they'll fight you on every mm-hmm. word. And sometimes you just got to go, hey, got to have a bowl. Doesn't sound right to me, but I'm just going to defer to the biggest guy in the room. Yeah. And so let's go with it. See yeah, what let's happens. Go with it and, and see what happens. If somebody hollers and says they hate it, then we'll, we can change it later. Yeah. But yeah. And and back to us, that that's like all of us looking at each other, going, "Kissy, kissy, smoochy, smoochy." Are we sure about this? Are we sure about this Shakespeare line we just put in here? And it's like, dude, just try it. It's fun. I promise. Okay. I remember. But you don't know. Oh, right? You never know. But you but you learn that you just you just have to write that and throw it over your shoulder and not be too precious to it, right? I mean that's why I've always looked at it. Oh, like, dude! Don't get really precious with it because you're going to write these songs a thousand more ways, a thousand more times, and and all we're really doing is we're continuing to just chip away at our little stones that we're carving, you know, with these songs, <laughs> and and we're trying to make them better, and we just keep getting better as we go, you know. I've always said that writing songs is like popping the top on a can of Pringles. Mm-hmm. You write that first one, crunch, that's eh, all right. Eat that second one, crunch, that's all right. You get to that third one, you go, crunch, holy crap. That's really good. you start good. eating five at a time. Then you start eating five at a time, and pretty soon your mom's cussing you out, because don't you know how much those cost? I had a coupon for that. Dude, at Big Al one time, Everett windswept i walk in and i don't to this day i mean i don't know i've written eight or ten songs with him i'm not a hundred percent sure he knows my name (laughs) (laughs) whether it's on the phone or in person it's always how you doing boy that's all ever is how you doing so i walk into the kitchen when we were all over there at windswept and he's got a box of wheat thins and he's just gnawing on one or i go big out he goes how you doing boy Good man, how you doing? So I just writing a song. I said, <laughs> I said, can I have a wheat thin? He said, nope. And he turns around, and he starts walking off, and I go, ah, I thought we were friends. And he just holds one up in the air over his back. He goes, not when it comes to wheat thins. And he just kept on walking. <laughs> Let me tell you my favorite. This is my all-time favorite Al story, and I've had a, a million. Of, I mean, we hung out and we wrote. Probably a thousand songs together. Yeah, we were down in Atlanta playing a show, <laughs> just me and him doing an acoustic show. And he had this fan, an NRBQ fan, that came up that would bootleg all of his records <laughs> and put them on CD. I mean, everything, live shows, old records. Oh, this man. guy would bootleg everything, and he would come to the show and he'd want Al to sign everything. And so one day we well, we're down in Atlanta. We finished the show. It was a great show, and and um, we're at the autograph table, you know, doing the merchandise thing. And here comes this guy, and he's got like twenty one pieces of it's oh. albums, it's bootleg CDs, it's, yeah. it's all this bootleg posters, and you know, Al's just just signing away. You know, Al just starts yeah. signing away, and I'm looking. I look at this guy, and then I look at Al, and I and I, and I nudge Al. I kind of give him an elbow nudge, and I go, Al. I go, dude, this guy's bootlegging all your stuff and selling it and making money off you. And you're signing, and and you're signing all of his stuff and giving more value to it. You're signing all this stuff for him, and about ten seconds goes by. Then he, he just he stops signing and he looks over at me and he goes, I don't see you signing nothing. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, touche. Eh, you know what? You're right. You're okay. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> oh man! Oh, buddy! See, there you go. There's the there's the uh, you gotta have fun or it ain't worth doing kind of thing. Without doubt. Without so, doubt. <laughs> I want to get to the boot camp, but bef- before the the business has changed so much uh-huh. since we first met. I mean, you're a writer, performer, publisher, producer. Um, tap dancer. Tap dancer. Twirl killer. I've seen you juggle. I've seen you twirl guns. Juggle chainsaws. I've seen you <laughs> twirl fake guns on a fake holster. Yeah. How how has it affected you in these areas for better and or for worse? Well, here's that's a great. Question. I know that's a huge question. No, but but. There's nothing like being old to really give you some perspective, right? <laughs> I mean, older. Yeah. Um, seasoned as opposed to senior. <laughs> um, I like seasoned. I never, in my in my wildest dreams, living in living in Hollywood, California, you know, playing in all those clubs. Um, and then, and then eventually, all the country bars around LA. I was uh, from a family of very simple means. We weren't poor, but we, you know, we we didn't yeah. have nothing. We didn't go to college. Uh, I dropped out of high school because I wanted to play music. You know, I I didn't have anything to fall back on, except for being a janitor. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, or you know, some sort of job like that. So. Um, I have always been a musician. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I always made my phone ring. I said, okay, I got to, okay, I, there's no point in me being a guitar player because there's a million amazing guitar players. Sure. If I play bass, I know how to sing. If I play bass, everybody needs a bass player, good bass player. Um, I'm going to get more work. Okay, if I learn how to run that tape machine, I can make a little money on the side. You know what I mean? I was trying to get diapers for my kids. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So it's so as much as I was being creative and 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 trying to follow my creativeness, I was also one of these guys that said, "Do everything: produce, write, sing, play, tap dance, uh, uh, learn how to work the mic, you know, learn how to run the board. Yeah, do everything you can do." And it's so funny, like, how everything kind of became what it became in my life and, and focused more on the songwriting, you know what I mean? And, and that became a huge, huge part of my life, you oh, know? Yeah. But as life is gone, and again, full circle, all of those tricks of the trade that I learned are all areas for me still that, that I can make a living. Yeah. Doing because, I, because I've honed those skills over the years. So you know, I, I can I don't have to have a number one song on the radio. I can go out and play fifty dates on the road, or I can go sing some background vocals on somebody's album, or I can, you know, you know what I mean. All those all those flags are still waving. Shoot, yeah. You know, so so you just like you're when you're when you're a musician, you're just trying to make it happen. You know, so I think that instinct of like of, of initially being a musician and having to work and having nothing else to fall back on, mm-hmm. 
I had to get myself working. And so I think that that still applies to me even now where, where I don't need to do it as much, but I still have that drive in me. And it, as my career's changed and my life's changed, all those things start coming back around full circle and, and I'm doing more of that than I'm doing of this. You know, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and they're all still valid because I, I, I never dreamed I would be sure sitting where I'm sitting now yeah. and having written all these songs. Like, you couldn't have told me. No, no one could have told me that. I just was... I was just running down the road, <laughs> you know, yep. you're just running down the road, in and out of doors, making memories and, and, yeah. and just living your life and, and whatever comes thrown at you. You just, you just learn to duck or you learn to let it hit you or you, you, know, you, or you throw something back, you know, <laughs> you just learn to duck. You know, I, I wonder, cause like, you, you know, those days, the back of the windswept days, when you first started through Ring Circus, and it was you and me and Danny Myrick and Kip Rains, yeah. and we would sit Not in a, a room, crew, dude, and we would write three or four songs a day, yeah. and there was still seven more half-done songs on the floor that are yeah. new riffs or whatever. Did In today's age where every artist is also a writer... Can you can you do that anymore? Is there a, is there a, a need or a reason for that anymore? Because I mean, to me it seems. And I'm I'm sorry to cut you off there, but no, it no. seems to me if I want a Lady Annabellum cut, I got to get on Lady A's bus and be on the road and get to know those guys and drink beer with those guys and write with those guys. I, I mean, can you? I mean, well, that's that's such a deep. Oh man, that's such a deep, thick, dark. Yeah. Question because, you know, you and I came in on the back end of the business before it broke. Yeah. So we could get a song cut on a record and make a pretty decent amount of money. Yeah. We didn't have to have a single. There were pl- plenty of guys in this town 20 oh, some man. years ago that were making a great living getting songs on guys' albums. You could cuts. get a song on a. Uh, George Strait or pick a name at that yeah. time and, and if that record went platinum a few times and you just had a song in there you, you, you'd make a pretty darn good, good living. chunk of change yeah and if you could do that you'd keep and there and there were a lot of guys that had careers like that and they yeah. didn't always have the singles um, and that all kind of just blew up you know kind of got the A-bomb uh, in kind of the early 2000s it just kind of it went away and so everybody's going to give you a different story on this, but my perspective on it is that what happened was all the record deals started becoming 360 deals because the record companies sure. couldn't make money anymore. So they right. had they had to get with the artist and screw up their lives even more and take yeah. more of their royalties and more of their, even their road money. Um, so the writers are like, you know, if I'm, if I'm not out yeah. there 300 days a year... I can't float the boat here. You know what I mean? I, I got to get I got to get on some of the songwriting money because a lot of them were never writers. Sure, I mean, some of them are. There's a few. Oh, absolutely. A handful that are absolutely. brilliant writers. You know, yeah. but a lot of them were like, we got to get in these rooms with these writers and get these songs on our record. And I think once that happened, and this is just my take. It's I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just, once that happened, um, the business started to really shift. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's never not been that way in some form, shape, or form, but maybe not so much in country. Yeah. Country music was always really a songwriter town where people came. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And, and suddenly it started becoming a lot more like L.A. where you started to have to get a camp together and, and you had to get certain people in it. And, and, yep. and 
is that good? I mean, you tell me. I mean, you tell you know. Look at where we are, and um, it's easy to be an older guy and and commiserate about yeah. how crappy the music is on the radio. <laughs> There's always been crappy music on the sure. radio. I've had some crappy songs that I wrote on the radio. You know, like like. You know what I mean? It's always yeah. going to be there. Yeah. But I do feel like there's a sense of that craft of writing that's not quite the same as it was. We're still getting great songs out there, but yeah. I do feel like we're getting a limited melodic uh, window yeah. these days. Um, there's not much diversity. Um, but I say that, and five years later, it might be... You know, this this might be. I think you go through these phases. I think the late oh, '80s yeah. in country was the same way. A lot of the music was crappy. Yeah, people were calling Alabama sellouts because they were cutting songs that sounded more pop. Yeah, you know there were there were there was more, and 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 then came Dwight and Randy oh, and, and um, you know Steve Earle and and yeah. the whole world changed again, um, and it got really good for a little window there. And then it kind of went back. You know what I mean? I think it just goes in and out of phases like that. So you got to kind of look at it that way too. But I do feel like, um, in terms of writing the songs, yeah, it's it's you get five six names on a song, seven names on a song, and you're just going, wait a minute, come on, yeah. really? It took that many people to write that song. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wrote with a kid who was on his way to, I think it was ASCAP. To get a loan against royalties because he'd had one song. I think it was a, either top five or number one. I go, well, how many writers are on that? And he said eight. Yeah. I said, well, how much do you think you're how much do you think you're going to make on that? Because yeah. I don't know, man. I don't well, know. You know. And that's the thing too. You, you're not you're not selling like we used to. No, you don't have the format. We used to have Dude. downloads, CDs, cassettes, and albums for a while. They're all in the same era. Yeah. So people were buying all. You could sell a million of each sort of thing. Did and I, that song could float you for the rest of your life. But I had to remind my wife of singles the other yeah. day. But that's gone now. It's all gone. And you got to have the single now in order to make the money. So it's become so it's become such a a quest to to, to be one of those forty songs. And I think anytime you do that, you dilute the the storyline. Yeah. And I think the songs get simpler and they get a little more same, you know what I mean? Yep. And, and they, they, a lot of the creativity gets lost, the freshness of a new artist and a new sound, because everybody's trying to get that thing that's working all the time. Well, it used to be, I mean, my wife, who was lucky enough to work for Craig Wiseman for almost 11 years, yeah, long time. when you and I were writing so much and stuff, and she'd always, you know, I'd get so frustrated, because we would like write like, like Closer, Something you know with that song or yeah. something like that that I still just think is brilliant. Burn, burn! Holy crap! And she would kind of look at some of these other writers and go, "Those guys are trying to write what's on the radio, so they're a year or two behind." She goes, "But guys like you and Jeffrey, you're trying to write for two years down yeah. the road." Yeah. Which I hope we're still doing that. Although sometimes, you know, it's like bro country got such a bad rap for so long. But I was lucky enough to be on the road with Florida Georgia Line for almost two years. Uh And Amy said, you know, hey, you're 50, what was I at the time, 51 years old. Just remember, you're not the rock star you think you used to be and you be nice and blah, blah, blah. And I came home and from that first weekend out and she goes, how was it? And I said, 
you know what? Is this my favorite music in the world? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But there's 16,000 people out there singing along with every word to every song. And then Aldine comes on, and those people are singing with every word to every song. I go, it's a a lifestyle, without doubt. And and, and and, and, and I say this, um, I'm just saying this, but... I always, and you, know, you, you mentioned, you know, not chasing. And I always tell everybody, man, don't chase the radio, be the radio. Yeah. That means that's that great. might not happen for 10 years. Yep. I always wanted my thing on it. I yeah. wanted it to be my stamp of what I was inside of me. Um, oh, that's and great. I, and I chased, only thing I chased was that. You know what I'm saying? And, and took a lot of chances they weren't really chances to me, but to other people like, man, what are you doing? Yeah. You're never going to, you know, I was like, this is fun and this is cool. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I, I followed that just religiously, like, like go to where your heart wants to go, you know, Shoot, with this yeah. music. And, and there were a few of us around, you know, a few years back that were doing that. And inadvertently, and I'm not saying that, you know, we're responsible for all this stuff, but we, we made a big crack mm. in what was possible to do in country music that had never been done before. Yeah. You know, with lyrics and with uh, stories and with, uh, and with chord changes and with influences. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I brought in a lot of Southern rock, uh, yep. a lot of rock and roll. Um, always try to make sure I stayed true to the lyric country-wise. Yeah. Uh, the story was always crucial to me. But it was part of an evolvement, like country music always has over the years it evolves and evolves and i think that was a that was a window there where things really changed in country music and so now it's now it's gone into this whole other place and a lot of us are going man we hate it we hate it you know it's like you know what man we were we were out there pushing that envelope and this is the reason this is what happens when you push envelopes you open up more doors and sometimes those doors aren't all what you think they're gonna be yeah but you just got to roll with the tide and you got to realize that Country music's got the biggest audience it's ever had. Dude. Ever, ever, ever. It's selling more than, than any other format in most cases. And um, Tickets? In tickets? I mean, forget yeah. about it. Dude. And everybody has their favorite artists. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really a beautiful thing. And, and I've always been that kind of guy that went, hey, you know, if you get a moment, have your moment, you know. Um, and then when your moment passes, you got to... You got to go back to the line and and, and get back. You got to like my mom's told me, stay humble. Like don't yeah. don't think like, how come no one's doing it the way I want to do it anymore? Gosh darn it! Gosh darn all you <laughs> crazy country artists! Look at you and your muscle shirts and tattoos. <laughs> muscle shirts and tattoos and your vapor <laughs> things and gosh, you know, I just went to the back of the line and and yeah. you know and and. A few years later, you know, I got in a room with a young kid named Jaron Johnson, and and, yeah. and and I wrote the song the way he wanted to write it, instead of the way I wanted to, because I always wanted to write it how I wanted to write it. Yeah. And and I learned another new trick, and I was like, okay, this is where I am in my life now. I'm an older guy now. I'm not. I'm not that guy. So I got. I got to bring what I got to the party and yeah. and help these younger kids out. And if I can help steer those guys, that's a great job. I'm, I'm writing songs for a living. Yeah. You know. <laughs> You know what a great gig, and, yeah. and and it manifests in 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 so many different ways, and 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 all songwriters I think I think play different roles in their careers with with different people they get up with. We all play a different role with different writers, you know, and, and different sure. artists, and 
and I think if we're aware of those things, um, we can stay fluid and valid, you yeah. know, like, and just keep moving on. And, and, um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm having so much fun now. And now, you know, I'm, I'm, I did a complete 180 and, and went back to my hardcore country roots and I'm, and I'm chasing that as, yeah. as uh, it's, it's, it's not so much of a, um, um, uh, rebellion to what's going on out there, but I, I, I got to that place in my life where I missed I missed the coming up days. Yeah. When it was, when there was no rules Dude. attached to it and kind of wanted to get back to that, you know? So I, you know, I think it's all, it's, it's all perspective on how you're looking at it all the time, you know, and, 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 and you're trying to make good out of it. You know, you know, it's, it's so easy to go, I hate what's happening right oh, now. Dude. <laughs> I get so tired I'm of hearing that kind of guy. You know? I also get, always get tired of country radio sucks. Really? Do you listen to country radio? Well, well, no. Well, then. <laughs> well, if, if you go back on on one of those serious channels and you put on one oh, of those dude. old country stations, there's a lot of bad songs from the '60s. Too. Sure, man. From the '50s too, a lot of crappy songs in yep. every era, and and that's just part of the deal. I mean, it's just you know, I think something. Ha- there's always an one or two artists that shape ten years of music, oh, man. and everybody follows it. Right, I mean, yeah. and then and then those kids grow up and they want their own thing, and the next artist comes along, and again, like I said earlier, it's full circle. It all goes full circle, man. <laughs> it's so funny, like Pat Buchanan, great guitar player here in town. I saw him the other day. Man, I love that cat. But he goes, Bart, you're like one of the best riff writers in you town, are, man. Well, thank you very much. But now it's like. Like you're saying, we came up Southern Rock, you know, and now Leonard Skinner's on their farewell tour, and I'm just like, no, you can't be I serious. I know, I know. Because, what do you mean? I'm not going to have any more riffs to rip off. <laughs> and, you know, back, and, and back in the day, too, like, I was exploring all these Southern Rock things that I love. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm the biggest Greg Allman fan that ever lived, mm. and that was part of mine. You know, John Fogarty were two of my favorite singers, yep. and... and um, you know, I, and I, I wanted to figure that out in country music. Yeah. And I got a lot of flack for it in the beginning, but when, when Montgomery Gentry showed up, hmm. and that's another story, like, yeah. you do what you do, and someone's going to show up. If your shit's good, someone's going to show yeah. up and go, I love that shit. Yeah. Can I put that on my album? Yeah. So you do, you follow your heart. But then I got to this reputation where everybody's going, that's a Southern rock guy. But, I mean, you knew me. I was writing pop stuff. I was writing Absolutely. rock stuff. I was writing straight-up country stuff. Um I got to a place where I was so over it and, you know, trying to figure out the next Southern rock riff. I just was bored. It was boring me. I wanted to get to the, that's the thing too. Like I kept wanting to find a new place to get to Yeah. instead of going, this is working for me. Just stay on this. I just, I've just never been like that. I get bored fast. Um, you know what I mean? It's like you paint a picture and then, and then you don't want yeah. to keep painting the same picture. You want to paint a new picture, you know? So now the new picture is the oldest picture you have. <laughs> You're going back to the very first picture like, you yeah, ever painted. What did that old one look like again? Yeah. I'm going to try to recapture that. But but I think it's inevitable when you get older, like you start reminiscing about oh, man. your life. And and I just and there was a line that Merle Haggard oh, that I I always held on to this line. I, I thought it was the coolest thing anybody could ever say. You know, they asked him what was the best part of his career, and he said hmm. he could, he said that little tiny space right before I made it. Right hmm. before everybody knew who I was, he goes, "It's it was the most." He goes, "It's that thing you can't explain, like where everybody's starting to freak out over what you're doing, but yeah. not everybody really knows you yet. But something's happening, and it's changing the thing." 
He goes, I wish I could hold on to that forever. He goes, but that was the best time. He goes, he goes after that, it just became business. Right. It's getting the buses down the road, and it's, it's business. And, and it's still fun. You're still you know, you're making music. Sure. But I totally I, – I took that to heart like, man, if I can figure out a way to live in that little window – Dude. You know where it's where it's where it's always on the edge of something great. You yeah. know um, that means more to me than going out on a stage every night and singing the same ten songs. And and that, that and that's not to put anybody down that sure. does it, but that's just how my and that's great too. It's where my happiness yeah. lives. You yeah. know, I did the other and I didn't like it. I didn't like it so much. I didn't like going out every night and singing the same 10 songs. I wanted to keep creating stuff. You know? Dude, I, I, I could not agree more. And I look back again at those windswept times when I didn't know that something stupid could be turned into something good. And that ignorance, or ignorance is bliss. I mean, it was, yeah. it was true. You know, I mean, I knew I was, I wasn't even the best writer in the chair that I was sitting Pretty in. Pretty darn good, day. brother. Well, thanks. But, but back then it was just so much fun because there were, the, and you were such a great publisher. You are a great publisher, but it was so much fun because there was never any rules. It was like, yeah. do you like that? I love that. Cool. Yeah. And it stays. And that was kind of the, if it sounds good, it is good kind of philosophy, you know, which I love. I, I just figured that everybody that I was around, at that time, and I still I still teach this when I'm teaching my classes, you know, like, they got the mechanics. I mean, you knew the mechanics. You knew how to write a bridge after the second chorus. You sure. knew how to, you know what I mean? You knew how to come up with a riff. You knew, you knew all the all the mechanical stuff. Yeah. To me, it was like, how do how do we got, we got all these great guys here. It's ama- all these diverse talents. Like, everybody yeah, no had kidding. a thing. Like, you know, you did, Kip did. Oh, yeah. Everybody here, you know, um, yeah. Danny, you know, like... Like, how do we get everybody's stuff out into this song right. without ruining the song? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and, and keep it honest. And the, the most fun I had was like with the four of us would get together and write these songs. I mean, remember what was the, uh, uh, that's all right. Oh, dude. Uh, get what you some ribs, wash it on down. Yeah. Just what we do around here. Just what here. we do around here. Just the way we do it around here. Just the way we do it around here. Uh, and do you remember oh, what you- a life that were all these songs, Swamp Thing. Um, we were th- just going with the moment. I think we scared Chris Wallen on Swamp. We did Day. on that day. Yeah, we did. But do you remember when you came in? You were the last one there that day. On going back to just the way we do it around here, and you said, "I got a challenge for us. What is it?" And you just held up two fingers. We all thought it was like a peace sign. Okay, mm-hmm. whatever. You go two chords. Two chords. So we're we're gonna write a song using two chords. Here's what they are. You just hit the, hit the, the one. Eight, I went the, the one to the five. Yep. Yep. And that song still just it's and, great. And, and that another and you know another lesson learned. You know, years before that, I was with Bob DePiro, who you had success with, and I've Never had heard success of with, and we love him, and he's an icon. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I was down at his place in Florida, and we'd written seven songs over a couple of days, and, oh and we God. explored every chord change. Right. From the Beach Boys to, you know what I mean, to, to the symphony. To, like, we wrote one of every kind of song, and, and we were both just high as a kite. Yeah. Just messed. We're both sober now, thank God. God, thank God we survived it. But um, <laughs> on the last day, it was about 110 down there in Florida, and we had the, you know, Bob had his refrigeration. You know, the, the windows would frost up in Bob's place because he would keep it so cold. <laughs> And I was just freezing cold, and and he goes, he goes, hey man, uh, let's just write something 
you know, with three chords. And I said, how about two chords? That's where, like, you know what I mean? And he goes, in one word. You know what I mean? And he started playing this lick, and I started playing these chords, these two chords, G to G, and we wrote Gone. Oh, man. And, and that was a lesson learned years later, you know, and then we yeah. get in the room and I'm like, let's see, you know, let's just write something. But you know what I mean? Like you, you get your lessons as you go along the way. Yeah. And I think that's how we all evolve songwriters. We, we, I see, I, I try to look at the moments and go, how did that, how did that happen again? How did we just get that? <laughs> well, and also you're a great musician. Bob's great. I'm pretty good. And 99% of the time you're the best musician in the room. And I tend to, try to shove every bit of musicality I can into every song. And I had a session and Bob had one song on that session and he got there right at the end of the song before yeah. he, he and I song. So he was listening to it and, uh, no, it wasn't him that said this. It was, uh, Greg Morrow. Yeah. Greg came in right after we were done and he just put his arms on the console and looks at me and goes, what's next? And so we get the next song, which is me and Bob. And Bob goes in there. And after Bob and I's song, Bob goes in there. And what's his quote about playing acoustic guitar? The best of my price range. So he was in there playing. And he came in and Greg, Greg Morrow came back and he goes, that's your hit right there. And I told that to Bob later on and he goes, if I can give you one little thing about you personally, stop writing for the band. Said, you're trying to impress the players. You're way over the heads of most of our listeners, and that's yeah. not saying our listeners are dumb. It's just saying, you're just better than, you're a better guitar player than they are. Yeah, so you, you don't you, have you to. You know a lot. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, I got always had to learn how to. Oh, another, another side of that is, uh, again, Big Al. Um, I was in one of those moments riding with him where, I, where you know, Al's such, and he could play anything. And, and, Ridiculous. And he's just so amazing. And so, and so I was, I, he made me get better on guitar because I, I wanted to impress Al. I wanted to impress him when I came in. I wanted to let him know I was a musician because I was always the lyric guy. <laughs> yeah, I wanted him to know that I could play. You know, and he, he looked at me, he goes, Steely, you got to remember one thing. And I'm like, what's that, big Al? And he, he goes, he goes, it's not what you play, it's what you don't play. Hmm. I'm like, at first I was like, huh? And, and then I was like, oh, oh, what you don't play, what doesn't go in the track, he goes, what you don't play, that makes it a hit song. <laughs> and I, and another, yeah. right, another lesson to live by. And, um, and I, I'm the same as you. I, I, um, whenever I went into a session, I wanted that band, my take on it was I wanted the band to really dig yeah. what I brought in. Yeah. I wanted them to always... Um, come to the party, you know, because you got guys in there that are amazing players, oh. and 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 I became also became one of those guys that uh, when guys were tuning their guitars, inevitably, when uh, Kenny Greenberg or Bukovac or one of those guys mm -hmm. was tuning their guitars, they'd play something. Yeah, and I go, dude, what did you just play? They have no, they have no clue. What did you just play? And 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 I said, was well, something where the low note when you then you went up to the fifth fret. And, and and you did a pull-off. Right. Oh, oh, I went like this. I go, let's make that the opening of the song. Like, I would keep my ears open. That's awesome. To, yeah. to their talent. Absolutely. And I learned that from our great buddy, Reed Nielsen. Hmm. 
who uh, one day I was tweaking on my guitar playing this riff that I always play when I tune my guitar, like an open E riff. Right, right, right. And he told me to play it in time. I go, what are you talking about? I'm just tuning my guitar. He goes, he goes no, but play that in time. And I played it in time, and it would, became the opening riff for my town. And we wrote <sighs> my town off that riff. And, and, and I said, this guy's a fucking genius. Yeah. He's a genius, you know. How, how could he know that? How did he ever know that? How did he? How did? How did I not know that? Like you know, <laughs> but you know, you you learn them along the way, and they become your things that you you uh, whether you know it or not, you start. Well, we all have ruts. We all play what we know. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes what you and to us, it's the oldest thing in the book. Absolutely. But to the guy sitting in the room with you, he's never heard that riff before. Yep. And it's like, and that's like when these young kids come in. I don't want to play my guitar. I want to hear them. Yeah. I go, exactly. Play me your thing. Inspire me. Yep. Play me something that inspires me so we, we can get a lyric idea going here. Because I was always also one of those guys that heard the riff and felt the lyric. I didn't feel a, didn't feel I didn't have a line for a chorus yep. or a chorus. Uh, when I wrote Speed with Chris Wallen, it was the it was the groove we were playing. The groove just got a story going and we didn't have a chorus. But it was one of those songs I always tell people when I talk about this song, when the chorus, when we were getting to the chorus in the second verse. I could see the chorus without even knowing what the chorus was. Mm-hmm. I could see what, what the chorus was going to be like I was on a ladder looking down on the song. Hmm. For, like from an airplane going, right, right. oh, there's my chorus. Without even knowing what the title was, I knew it, it, speed fell out and it was like, that. that is the summation of what that whole verse was. And the chords never changed and it was real simple. You, you know what I mean? But, yeah. but like, like things like that, you just, you, yeah. you, you look back on and go, you just, you remember those things and go, okay, that was another way to get there. Yeah. And that's the, as my life as a songwriter, I've, I'm always looking for ways to get there because we all know our way. It's like, we got to find new ways all the time to getting there. And even though we, we use our ways all the time. It's like, I'm always looking for a new gag to get me to that, to that spot. I think that's the, great lesson about no <laughs> about was right but i just no, know i that's think that's I great about co-writing because somebody else has a different way to get there yeah and i was never good at following the rules yeah um so um i mean back in even high school i got kicked out of high school you know three <laughs> different high schools i just was not good at following the rules and and um so when you when you live like that you have to learn how to get where you're trying to get to so i honest to god really free floated my way into everything I did. I just, I just kept hitting every wall until I found the door. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that was kind of my MO and, and, um, I didn't realize all those years I was developing my skill of how I did. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I guess. I mean, (laughs) accidental style. Yeah. I really, truly, truly. (laughs) One time I had, uh, broken my wrist and I was getting back and, when, in the 80s, I, everybody wanted to be, you know, Ingve Malmsteen or one of these shredders. Sure. So I was shredding like crazy. And then I realized, okay, I think it was Steve Earle said, there's no money to be made above the fifth fret. <laughs> 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 so everybody slowed down or whatever. Well, after I broke my Truth wrist, there. when I was trying to learn how to play, sometimes just subconsciously, I'd start playing fast. Just I think it was just kind of myself trying to tell myself, well, you know, you can still do that. Yeah, sure. Sure. And I was at Al's place over in Green Hills, and he was scowling and looking over the top of his glasses. And I just was kind of just doing that. Not even I didn't even realize I was doing that. And he goes, <laughs> Bart. Oh, I guess he did know yeah, my he name. He did know your name. <laughs> Bart, you're one of the best guitar 
And right in that gap, I was going like, yes, here it comes. But he goes, you're one of the best guitar owners I've ever met. <laughs> now this went, Hey, Bart, I saw your show last night. You should have been in the audience. No, seriously, you should have been in the audience. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a walking... Dude. He's a walking one-liner. Hold on. Yeah. Well, yeah. talk to me about the Jeffrey Steele Academy. The boot camp? Yes. Well, this has been going on for, gosh, 11, 12 years now. Um, we used to do it here in Nashville back before everything got online. You were, all right. We, we would uh, have people submit songs. Sometimes we'd get 500 songs, and we'd pick out the best 11. Okay. And people would fly into Nashville, and... Um, We'd give them a week with me. They so stay they, at your house? Uh, well, they wouldn't stay at my house, no. <laughs> that, that's not a good thing. But they'd come out and we'd have, I mean, you were, you've you been a part of a few of them, but you know, we'd have people come and speak. We'd write with them. We'd take them in the studio. We'd take them to number one parties. we just kind of show them what, what happened in Nashville. This is right. what goes on in Nashville. And as time evolved and my, my, my schedule and stuff and my career stuff just started getting too crazy, I was like, man, it'd be so cool if we could take this online. And... So we took it online um, and started doing content pieces and, and, and basically the same premise, um, but, but we, we found that we could be more one-on-one with more people online. It was yeah. actually, it gave us more time to, and, and, I, and I do like a live phone call with like 50, 60 students at one time. Oh, man. We sit there and we just talk. And my whole gag with the Academy, you know, we've had a lot of success out of it and a lot of Writers with number one songs that have gone on to publishing deals. Um, some have gone on to be artists, but it's been real successful for developing writers of all, you know, categories, which is really cool. Yeah. But my my thing is kind of like what I just told you before about like blowing in the wind. My I've always been just kind of blowing in the wind and trying to find a way. Um, so I, what I try to teach is I, I I go with that same premise that if you're coming in this class. And you're submitting stuff. You pretty much know how to get through a song. Sure. So how do I get you to that place where you're in your subconscious mind and, and you're not thinking about what you're doing? And you're not trying to write a song. And you're not trying to make a word rhyme. And you're not trying to line up your words and make them look cool on the paper. Um, you know what I mean? You're, you're in that place where you're just... Is this you the holistic you, end of it? Part of that? it? Where you said a holistic way of writing songs, I mean, that, that kind of what this is. Holi- I mean, but but I guess you could say that. I mean, but but it's that thing that I, I'm just going under the premise that you guys already know how to get through this. Yeah. So let's let's get to that hit song place because that's you being you and you getting your heart out and 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 telling the world your story, not telling the world the story everybody else is telling. You know, to 120 beats per minute. Right. Not chasing that thing, but really finding your thing that you love to write about. And it may be major success. It may be just for your own personal fun, however you're looking at it. But you got to get to a place where you can you can let that stuff out and not be afraid to let it out. And get into that free flow place where it just comes out. Mm-hmm. Where all that stuff you've learned and read and seen and done is in your head. And, and you're in that little closed that beautiful little rabbit hole that we all go down as songwriters and you're able to stay down there and just let stuff come out. Yeah. Like you can play these amazing guitar scales. You know what I mean? Like, like I'll tell somebody that can really play well. Yeah. Like if they're in the, and they're a great musician, I'll say, Hey, this is really great. If you can make your lyrics do what your fingers are doing mm. on that guitar, 
you got it. Yeah. You, to be able to free form, you know, and it, and it, it comes with learning. It's like sure. playing scales. You, you learn lyric things that you can start just spitting out because you're so used to doing it. It's like muscle memory. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I think um, when you have all those things going on and you can still get in that subconscious world where you're just letting some idea come out, <laughs> it just makes for a real creative. Yeah. And it's you. It's you bringing your music out. And so that's kind of what my premise is behind the thing. I'm not in it to, to get rich off it or, um, you know what I mean? Like, like it's not a career thing for me. Yeah. It's just something I like to do because I love, my favorite thing to see is a new writer that figures something out. Dude, you see that light bulb go off oh over Oh, my God. Head. Yeah. Uh, I love seeing it. And, and, and I've seen so many of these writers that have been in this thing now. We just recently had this guy, just got a big Tim McGraw cut. And uh, he's been in the camp for a couple of years now, and he's been diligently listening and paying attention. We keep hearing his songs, and that one's okay, that one's okay. And then we heard one and went, oh, my God, that's yeah. a hit song. And so it's neat to to see that. Uh, and then you feel like maybe you're, you know, hopefully making a difference in, 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 in keeping the... I've always wanted to keep the lyrics alive in country music. I just think the stories oh, are the man, most amazing things. And... and uh, so I, I, it's it's a lot of fun. It's 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 That's uh, awesome. it's really a joy to um, to do it. And then and then we have really close communications with, uh, you know, the, the 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 people that are in the school. Like yeah. they, they they like they come to the office here and they hang out with us when they're in town. Oh, that's and we cool. Show them around. You know what I mean? We yeah. we we, we kind of keep them in the loop and all that. So and Casey's a big part of that. Your oh daughter. yeah, my daughter. Yeah, has been running that from day one. It's her baby. She's she's suggested that I do it. And uh, so it's, she's kind of grown it over the years, and I just kind of show up and do what I love to do. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. That's at jeffreesteel.com and also jeffreesteelacademy.com. Yeah, yeah. For those of you like, at home. Yeah, they'll, they'll one or the other will guide yeah. you. Um, somehow you'll get the link that will send you over to And it. there's a cool picture of you there, I'm just saying. There's a cool picture? Yeah. That's probably a younger. <laughs> it's not much younger. <laughs> Well, I've invented this little... Speaking of younger guys... There's a younger guy right there. I invented this little 10-question, like, okay. top-of-your-head thing. Okay. Because we've pretty much said everything. Yeah. So, what's your favorite book? I have two. Okay. Can I give you two? Yep. Uh, Galileo's Daughter. Okay. Um, is one, uh, Eva Sabol, I think is the author. And I'm in the middle of what I think is going to be my new favorite book, which is the autobiography of Mark Twain, mm-hmm. which was released a hundred years after his death, which he requested. And That's it's about, right. It's about 2000 pages. I've had so much trouble reading it, but this past week I opened it up randomly to a random spot and read this one section and it blew my mind. So now I'm like, instead of reading it cover to cover, yeah. I'm sectioning it back and forth like the Bible or something. Like I'm reading yeah. pieces of it and going back and going, oh my God, that's amazing. And and it's becoming like, quickly becoming my favorite. Yeah, because you'll go, I'll never get through 2,000 pages. Exactly. <laughs> What's your favorite food? Oh my gosh. Uh, I'll have to change these questions. These are hard. I would say uh, anything. I, I love Indian food, so anything Indian uh, my favorite. What's your favorite quote? Uh, better to be hated for who you are than love for who you're not. Nice. What's your best music-related memory? 
I know you got a million of them. Gosh. I think, uh, can I elaborate for a second? Absolutely. <laughs> I had reached, this is probably not the best musical memory to have. <laughs> I had reached sort of a place where things were really rocking hard. And, um, I, uh, and, 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 anyway, and got to a, what I perceived to be a place in my career, you know, at that time and, and, and had some bouts with my publishers about what I deserved for that. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they had told me that everybody gets to this place and nobody gets what you're wanting to get, right. but this is your moment. And this is probably the the mo- this is like your big moment. So let's just keep this thing real. And, and they kind of, it kind of felt like a put down and, a, and I've worked so hard, you know, yeah. and, and, and I felt like I deserved something for my efforts sure. and realized that, you know, business is business or whatever. So, <laughs> so in a huff, I left and went off on my own. And, um, after hearing that, that, that was going to be the biggest I could ever, the best I could ever do was going to be that year. Mm-hmm. And two years later, on my own, I had the biggest year that I ever had ever. <laughs> so at the awards that <laughs> night, <laughs> I walked up to get my biggest year ever award. Uh-huh. And that company was at the head table in front of the stage as I walked up. And I just remember looking at everybody going, hey, guys. <laughs> Probably not the best. That's probably not the sure. sweetest. But nah. but in the music business, it was one of those moments where I kind of pinched myself and said, "Way to go, sticking to your guns. Yeah, doing your own thing and doing it the way that you wanted to do it." And <laughs> you know, like it was that kind of a moment. Not many best yeah. memories involve a middle finger. Yeah, so I would I would scratch that though and say my my two most favorite moments were were being able to connect with. Chris Christopherson and Willie Nelson, yeah. my all-time two favorite songwriters, um, um, as a result of what I did, like in those moments where I got to hang with those guys and, oh, yeah. and just go, wow, I wish my dad could see this. I wish my Dude. dad had, you know, had knew what he was getting me into. Um, cause I never could have dreamed it, you know, I never, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. not on my radar. And, Dude. And, uh, those, I want to get back to this, but 2007, right of the year, you were having, a shindig over by oh Edge Hill Cafe. And I told Amy, we were after the BMI Awards, I told Amy, that was the year that uh, Willie was the icon. Yeah, that's I right. told Amy, I said, I got to go to the bathroom. And, you know, they're at the back of the garage, and you got to go up those stairs. And I go back there, and this burly lad is standing by the door, and he just looks at me, and I <laughs> happen to have my BMI Award, my little medallion around, yeah. And so he just saw that, and he said, all right. I thought, who is in here, freaking the president or something? And I walk in, (laughs) and Willie's at the urinal. And I can just see, tap, 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 and then I can hear. And he turns around, and he sees my medallion, and he just sticks his hand out and goes, congratulations. And I'm going like, oh, I'm in such a quandary. Because that hand was just like... Oh crap! I, I could always I watch the hand that just touched. I'm one degree from Willie's Willie, so I just <laughs> Willie's Willie. 
I just went and did it. Anyway, so those are. All, what's your favorite? Like your best life memory? Gosh, these are big questions. Sorry, man. I'm hoping I haven't had it yet. Oh, I love that. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, I think my favorite my favorite life, me- I couldn't pick one. I think my favorite memories outside of my, obviously, my family sure. and all that, but in the music thing, would probably be um, just all of those moments shared with all those musicians and writers. Yeah. Uh, in those rooms, um, and 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 getting to those places where everybody kind of lit up and went, "Wow, we got something!" Or you know, what I mean, this is amazing. Like uh, the 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 ending when you got when you finally got to that place, you know, where where all that work you did, and and, and everybody's got a smile on their face. Go, this is so cool. You yeah, know? I mean, it's like being kids, you know. Yeah. What song do you wish you would have written? Angel flying too close to the ground. Nice, nice. Who would you still like to write with? Gosh. Yeah, there ain't nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I've read with all of them. No, um, Willie. Yeah. Chris. I mean, that's, you know, those are both like probably not on the radar, but that's just so, you know, yeah. I, I wonder what would happen if I could get in a room with a guy like that and. It take a little bit of Dolly Parton. I'd love to write with her. Yeah, it take a little, uh, a little, put your head down and forget who you're in the room with. Yeah, to do that. Yeah, it's like you've you've written so many songs, so many big acts, but to get in a room, I always, I always really hesitate meeting my heroes because mm-hmm. what if they're jerks? So much music is going to be tainted for me, you know, if I meet somebody. Yeah, or what if you're going at it like you want to write? something that you, you would hope that they would that that they would write and and you're just you're totally in the wrong place uh, where they're at in their life and it's like you're just blowing the whole swing and letting something just happen like we just talked about yeah you're trying to force something that's just not going to happen but you know that's it would be amazing i would love to write with tom petty yeah, yeah. i just always love tom petty you know so hmm. there's quite a few on that list too yeah <laughs> no kidding no kidding <laughs> if you weren't a writer what else would you do I know that's impossible. I, I would probably be a janitor. I mean, um, I, I always thought about um, doing voiceover stuff oh, when yeah. I was younger. I always loved cartoons and wanted to do yeah. cartoon voices. Me and too. I, and I, and I uh, was a sports guy. I played baseball. was pretty serious about it. Um, but I think ultimately I would have been a janitor because I chose this path. And if I hadn't figured out a way to make something happen, I, I wouldn't have had much to fall back on. But, but, but I, I know I would have figured something out. Somehow, but um, um, yeah, th- those are my dreams. Yeah. That I think janitor is probably where I would have ended up. If, if you could have been a janitor at a baseball park next yeah. to a voiceover studio, <laughs> <laughs> you could like go over there on the weekends. I'm going to put these mics away, but I'm going to do it in Bugs Bunny's voice. Well, dude. That was a hoot, man. Thank you. Thinking and drinking. I love you, buddy. Love you too. Jeffrey Steele. Thanks. Thanks.